to Have You Got Your Shit Together with me, Caitlin O'Ryan, the podcast that celebrates not having your shit together. On today's episode, we have World Poetry Slam champion, Harry Baker. He is a poet and a maths graduate. He writes about important stuff like hope, dinosaurs and German falafel spoons. His work has been shared on TED.com and viewed millions of times worldwide, as well as being translated into over 20 different languages. His latest collection, Unashamed, was published with Burning Eye in 2022, and he's been sharing poems from it at every available opportunity ever since. He also performs as part of the comedy duo Harry and Chris. I first got to see Harry perform when he headlined Grooveverse in London, and he had the audience completely captivated. We've included one of his poems at the end of the episode. The poem is called Wonderful and is the title poem of his new book, and Tall. Harry will be on tour around the UK from May and you can find more information about that on his website, harrybaker.co or on any of his social media platforms. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Here's Harry Baker. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to our chaotic studio down here in London. It's a joy to be here. <laughs> um, and you've just come straight down from Manchester. I have. How, I how have. was that? What were you up there for? It was a wonderful time. I was featuring at a poetry slam mm-hmm. and it brought back wonderful and terrifying memories All of memories. taking part in poetry slam. Yeah. So I was very happy to be there in amongst it, mm-hmm. doing a set and wow. not being judged yeah. numerically. So did least. you start off in slams then? Yeah. Yeah, I okay. um, went to. Well, I started going to poetry open mic nights, right. and then found out about slams. Okay. And just I had two poems, and they both happened to be like about three minutes long. Wow, it's like so you I knew would, exactly. <laughs> and so I would alternate them at every single mm. slam I could possibly mm-hmm. go to. Um, and I loved it, and I loved getting to meet other performers, and also trying to hone my craft I guess and yeah. that sense of also like I studied maths so I think I really like the counting as well <laughs> <laughs> but that that part of like going up and then kind yeah. of sharing yourself and, and trying to connect with people in the room and yeah. so yeah did them for a while wow wow I'm terrified of them I think they're so they're so brutal it's kind of that like when, whenever I've gone to like open my comedy nights or something in Manchester where it, it'd be like audience judging you yeah I just think that's such a brutal part yeah, of it yeah. And also, it's, like, really hard to compare people's poetry and stuff. Yeah, and also, I'm still recovering. Like, I only... From doing slums, <laughs> like the PTSD. Slums. Just in terms of... I used to think that every poem had to do everything. Yeah. But also that it had to be the, the best thing yeah. I'd ever written. Yeah, yeah. And so for a while, because I was starting out and I was getting better, and I was, like, doing well in slums as well, so I was having that... Like affirmation boost. from it yeah. and I was like oh this is how it has to be and uh-huh. I remember sharing a poem that was just a bit more personal and gentle mm. and it not getting a very high score yeah. and coming away thinking oh that's a shame <laughs> that poem's rubbish and it's Throw not it, it just away. doesn't no, no, fit no, no. Yeah. whereas now I am able to write something that captures mm. a moment and that's what that poem is meant to yeah. do and it doesn't have to win any competitions yeah. to be allowed to exist it's kind of what you were saying about now doing your longer shows where you're kind of allowed to go on the audience is allowed to go on the journey with you as opposed to i guess a slam almost feels like that instant gratification almost like tiktoky culture where it has to 
grab people's attention immediately and kind of summarise who you are and keep them interested. Um, Whereas when you're able to do like a 50-minute show or something, you can go through every emotion and go on a real journey. Exactly. I still remember going to a slam where there were three rounds Mm -hmm. and I have so much respect for this man. (laughs) He started off with part one of a (gasps) three-part poem. A trilogy. (laughs) Being like... Baby three to his part two, but it like it wasn't instantly. Yeah, it didn't it's a good grab idea. the audience or anything, <laughs> and so they just didn't get through, oh and so God. we never got to hear parts two and three. Oh, no. But I just thought, as a as, as a, a tactic, as a sort yeah. of like <laughs> to hear more, like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> That's bold. Um, so how how did you get into poetry then? Because like you said, you did a maths degree at Bristol. I did. That seems worlds away from where you are now. I was good at sort of science at school Mm -hmm. and so thought what do I do with my life and so I applied to do medicine thinking that's a way of getting to help people and getting to be clever and getting to like (laughs) do it all Uh and so I had applied to Bristol to do medicine and then at the time was starting to go to these open mic nights Mm. because I think as a teenager I love music and I love lyrics and that was what would always jump out at me and so I would perform in our school but out of the band's competition but change the lyrics to be about maths and like cool it's a real like high school musical moment <laughs> really of like making rock and roll quite yeah, geeky the, the nerds coming <laughs> yeah. good people got behind it it's lovely and so like the first time i went to an open mic was just doing a maths rap without any music and Amazing. calling it a poem and sort of yeah, yeah. making it up as i go uh-huh. but you know learned that when it was just the words people could hear what i was saying and also, I just wasn't a very good rapper at the time. So, like, <laughs> found my voice much more rather yeah. than trying to emulate whoever I was listening to at the time. And so, because I thought I was going to do medicine, had done a gap year, and basically in that year went to every open mic I could possibly go to and fell in love with it and realised that I didn't know what being a doctor would be like. It was just something that I thought was a good thing to do. Whereas, you know, there were 20 other people applying for that place in medical school, whereas... I was the only person writing my poems and they wouldn't exist if I didn't do yeah. it. And it's hard to, in that moment, it's hard to quantify that and justify it because you don't know where it's going to go. But mm. I knew it was important and I wanted to make things and share them. Yeah. But I'd done all science A levels, so mm-hmm. didn't want to switch courses to do English yeah. and be told that I was doing poetry wrong. Because <laughs> I was doing it and I was loving it and I was yeah. loving it as a thing on the side. So I didn't want to ruin that. Mm. Whereas still quite like maths, so kind of switch courses from medicine to maths to have room for poems, yeah. which made perfect sense in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that meant I had four years in Bristol of doing a maths degree, living off a student loan, but just performing as much as possible wow. so that by the time I graduated, I had a bit more of an impetus and like experience and momentum with it to yeah. know that I wanted to try and do it. Yeah. Oh my God, amazing. Well, on a scale of shit to together, how are you feeling today? I am so excited for this. Yay! And just the title alone made me happy. Amazing. This question makes me happy. All (laughs) of it. So that in itself is is making me feel less shit. Um, I feel loosely together Uh in that I'm doing quite a lot at the moment and I quite like being busy. Yeah. And when I'm able to keep all of those plates spinning... I feel like I'm sort of doing life well. Yep. But I'm very aware that because of that, if anything starts to 
fall apart, I yeah. fall apart with it. Uh-huh. So I've had times when I felt much more together in terms of my mental health, or just yeah. kind of being happy and, and content. Whereas currently I'm trying to book a tour and finish writing a book and wow. like all of that stuff I love. Yeah. And it sustains me and gives me energy mm-hmm. and currently feels possible. Mm-hmm. But there's like it's one day away from all falling apart. So yeah. I'm just I feel like I'm riding a wave mm-hmm. and currently I'm not drowning. <laughs> So that feels like a win. It's kind of part and parcel of, I guess, moving away from maths, which is probably quite a steady career trajectory, whereas as soon as you choose something creative, it is self-employment and having to find the next job quite a lot or, I guess, like, book the next gigs and... Yeah, and I think even my teenager, in that decision of of not doing medicine, it felt like ahead of me was a life of uncertainty. (laughs) But I was choosing that. Yeah. And so it was was my uncertainty. And I also think... Because of the math degree, yeah. I kind of love the admin. And so I think I'm quite rare in poetry terms of like being excited about booking trains and, <laughs> and lining stuff up and can okay. I visit a school while I'm doing a tour gig yeah. somewhere and, and that kind of side That's of a great it. Skill so to I think have. that is also carrying me through. Would you say, seeing as you've chosen this path for yourself then, what is your relationship with uncertainty like? Uh, it's It's evolving okay. it's ever changing uh-huh. and I think looking back on it I'm so grateful that I started when I was still at uni or when yeah. I kind of just like didn't fully know how unlikely it was that things would work out yeah. it was just like oh I found this thing that I love and so I'm going to do yeah, it yeah, yeah. and then one thing will lead to another uh-huh. and it, that's kind of what happened and I mm. I now know how rare that is yeah. uh, but I think I'd got to a point where over five years or so, even though it's uncertain, you kind of find your rhythm in amongst mm-hmm, that. So whether mm-hmm. that's doing Edinburgh Fringe or whether yeah. that is having school bookings in between that feel a bit more kind of steady, I felt like I was at a point where it wasn't just that I had enough gigs, it was that I could choose the ones that I was yeah. doing. And yeah. the question was no longer, can I be a poet full-time? The yeah. question was, what do I want to do as a full-time poet? Yeah. What do I want to say? How do I want to... And so it suddenly felt like... It was all lining up and then COVID happened and mm. then I was more uncertain than ever in my life. And only now am I coming back from that yeah. and that idea that actually I don't need to have my calendar booked up six months in advance because mm. stuff will come along. And actually I want to be able to respond to stuff in the moment as it happens. But that balance of being in control versus yeah being able to kind of go with it and, and trust it. Yeah, I love that. I just keep thinking about how the relationship to maths and the relationship to this is actually something quite incredible. Like, I remember I was in New York and I ended up speaking to this guy who had a maths PhD and I was trying to make this big life decision about whether I should change agents or not. And I was really struggling with it on, like, an emotional level. And he literally sat me down and, like, mathematically was like, <laughs> <laughs> can you figure out, like, what what yes. the best probability of this is? Or, like, have you looked into, sure. like, how many people like you he has and stuff like this? You know, it was like a very mathematical approach Incredible. to, like, life decisions. Yeah, yeah, and I've always yeah, kind yeah. of remembered that. What did he say? It was, like, the, um, the risk to reward ratio Amazing. and stuff like that. Yeah. Amazing. One of my guiding decision-making principles came from uh oliver berkman Mm. used to have like column in the guardian okay and when it finished he kind of wrote a summary of like his favorite things that he'd learned and one of them was we're not very good at knowing what makes us happy so when you're making a decision Mm. don't be like oh i'm going to do this thing that makes me happy because you don't know whereas he framed it as 
you can do stuff that will either expand you or that will shrink you. I love that. And so trying to think, will this expand me? Yeah. And often it's the terrifying things that oh do. Oh my God, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you know that deep yeah. down. And so rather than thinking like, is this going to make me uncomfortable? Mm. But thinking like, as a person, am I going to feel yeah. bigger or smaller after this? Yeah. And again, that's, that's not a mathematical <laughs> measurement, but no. it felt more tangible yeah. than a sort of like, is this right or not? Yeah. It reminds me of that quote, which I've said a few times, but it's, um, your comfort zone is a beautiful place to be, but nothing ever grows there. Mm. Like, yeah, yeah taking yeah, that yeah. risk. Okay, so on that then, what does having your shit together mean to you? I think, honestly, getting a good night's sleep. Oh my God, yes. I think, and I've spent years worrying about <laughs> this, or just <laughs> taking it to be like a deeper symptom of unrest in my life okay and have gone through all the motions of like getting blackout blinds getting an eye mask oh my god yeah getting a new but like all of that was sort of like the investment in yeah but again that's treating the symptoms not the cause and (laughs) a while back i realized that part of it was just like switching to decaf coffee really helped and so stuff like that Mm. but then on a deeper level i think I just had a lot of anxiety that I wasn't addressing in my day-to-day. And then that all comes out in the middle of the night when I wake up and there's no no way to distract myself. And if I've got a poem I'm working on, that is perfect. Because in the middle of the night, I start to think about that and then I drift off and Mm. that kind of thing. See, that would keep me awake because I'd be like, great line, next one. (laughs) (laughs) God, I'm amazing. (laughs) My part is really boring. (laughs) But, I, but there was a moment when I realised that actually, uh, in terms of my like mental health and yeah. personal stuff, it I needed to address some of these things mm. like in day to day and in my relationships with people, yeah. and not just go along with things because I wanted to be the bigger person or be nice, yeah, yeah. and then be like silently fuming about it later. So I think. That, that when I felt most peaceful, so that yeah. is when I feel like I've had my shit together yeah. on a like personal level. I guess it's if you've like aligned yourself with your own integrity during the day, yeah. so that you're not lay there resenting yourself for having been a people pleaser or like exactly. the real the real you kind of seeping out in the evening. Yeah, and I just think I'm so anti confrontation. So if too. there was ever a moment <laughs> where like I would want to speak up. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I would, but almost like congratulate myself on that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you, like, yeah, yeah. that's not what you wanted, but you've been really nice and given this person what they wanted. Martyr. There's <laughs> no way to live. There's no way. Oh my God. Yeah. God. And sleep as well just seeps into everything. Like, when I'm feeling like really anxious or anything like that, it's just because I've not had a good night's sleep. And you really need those like eight hours to reset, I think. We're now at the point of an object that makes you feel like you've got your shit together. What's that? I've brought it. It's in the corner. Okay. I'm going to hold it up. Go get it. For dramatic effect. (laughs) Okay. So it's a black bomber jacket? Is that that what we'd say? I think we could. The key word is chevron. Oh, a chevron. Is that the stripes? That is the stripes. Okay. Design <laughs> named after road markings, as far as Very... I know. But it looks great. Thank you. Hush on. It feels great. Yeah. And I feel great in it. It's also quite rustly for microphones, so I may take it off in a bit. But me and my friend Chris are part of a musical comedy duo. Yeah, yeah. And we uh 
I'll probably bring this up loads during this, uh, but we were signed up with a comedy agency. Amazing. That was great for some things and awful for other things, okay. including my man of sleep at night. <laughs> uh, but we got asked to go on a TV show in America. Whoa. Called Bring the Funny. And, and did you bring was, it? We, we brought our funny and it was not what they thought was funny. <laughs> but we had a good time. Oh, my God. In hindsight. Yes. <laughs> um, but part of that, one of the first things they did was like, oh, we booked you and now we've booked you a stylist appointment. Wow. Which felt deeply... Only in America. <laughs> deeply personal. And I was so uncomfortable. And, and again, this like part of this wider relationship yep. was me... In that moment, being like, that's not what I want to do. Yeah. But sure, I'll go along mm-hmm. with it. And then to hate it and myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, it was wonderful. And oh. it was like getting to like try on different yeah. clothes. And I then realised it wasn't just like being told to wear stuff that you would never normally wear to like change who you are yeah. like I was allowed to have an opinion like what is it like, like Trini and Susanna in the 90s when or the exactly, noughties where they just exactly. <laughs> completely changed people's yeah. hairstyles and everything <laughs> but as part of it yeah. I got a very similar jacket to this cool and when I put it on I just felt more confident okay. and suddenly I realised why some people are really into guys <laughs> like, up until that point it's just like is it comfortable yeah yeah and like t-shirts i understand uh-huh. but it like that was as far as i went Aww. and it would be like and then suddenly having this and then i lost it at a festival oh no and then they'd stopped making it and oh. then my friend who has a unique superpower of being able to find things on the internet slash Amazing. in charity shops yep. i sent him a picture of it and he like tracked it down and sent me a replacement that's one. amazing so it is it makes me happy and then it's yeah. also now this isn't the one like from a stylist appointment feel a bit icky. This is like the one lovingly found oh, by a friend. Oh, I love that. So. God, yeah, fashion is like armour for some people, isn't it? Like the way that it can make you feel and confidence wise. A time in your life where you felt like you really had your shit together. One of my favourite things I've done. Okay. And it was a combination of a few things, which mm-hmm. is, and it felt very me. And so because of that, I nominate this. <laughs> um, it was when I ran the London Marathon wow. dressed as a giant falafel. Okay. <laughs> Twist. <laughs> Can you talk us through the decision-making process? Yes. I ran the London Marathon in 2012. Mm -hmm. Amazing. With an organisation called the Amos Trust, an amazing charity who do work in Israel and Palestine, working for peace. Mm -hmm. And I'd just been on a trip out to Palestine and was so moved by it. And this is me still at uni being like, oh, I've just found out there's an injustice in the world. I need to (laughs) single-handedly solve it. Middle Eastern conflict, that's right in my wheelhouse. (laughs) And so I came back and ran the London Marathon dressed as a homemade replica section of separation wall. Right. So it was a backpack Uh with some bamboo and a lot of gaffer tape. It was about two metres high and I'd written Free Palestine like down the back of it. And... It effectively <laughs> acted like a sail. Okay. Oh, my God. And like, was the wind in your favour? No, no, because <laughs> whenever I was running, it was then just, like, pushing no. me back. So, but what that meant was that as I was running it, yeah, like, 
two, like 20 seconds of running past someone on the street isn't enough to get across the nuance <laughs> of the wider region. But people could see that I was in an outfit that yeah. was making things difficult. So there was yeah. a kind of general support. Mm -hmm. And also, like, people just couldn't quite read it. Someone <laughs> shouted out free plasticine. It was a good time. <laughs> um, but then I remember thinking, this is, like, a really cool thing to do. And yeah. then, like, off the back of it, there'll be some kind of press coverage or I'll be able to talk yeah, about it. And yeah. as I was running around, I could see the TV cameras like moving out of the way because no. they had just been warned like yeah, this yeah. is too political. That's not what the marathon's about. Like avoid this guy at all costs. And so I remember feeling really like frustrated yeah. and disappointed by it. And so eight years later, uh -huh. maybe nine years later, I the marathon had been postponed because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so the Amos Trust had had someone drop out. Right and asked me if I'd be up for doing it, like, last minute. Maybe and dust off the old this was falafel. because they knew, first of all, I didn't do much training. So they were like, six weeks notice, that'll be fine. Really? And so I was like, I want to do it again. Yeah. I want to do it in some kind of outfit again. Uh -huh. uh, and crucially to the story, I've got a poem about falafel. Ah. Uh, because this is such a long story. I'm no, so sorry. No, I'm, I'm so invested. I lived in Germany for okay. a year. It's part of my maths degree. Wow. And maths taking you all over the yeah. world, it seems. And the German language was just like the perfect maths poetry combo because it's so logical, mm. but it's really like fun and playful at the mm -hmm. same time. And so I found out the German word for falafel is falafel. Okay. But the German word for spoon is luffel. So if you had a falafel spoon, it was a falafel luffel. <laughs> so while I was there, I wrote this poem called Falafel all about a guy called Phil, and it was like a oh my God, bilingual call-and-response tongue yeah, twister. Yeah, yeah. Some of my greatest work. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was in my head. So I was like, I, I want to be a falafel uh -huh. And then I was thinking, <laughs> and then in Palestine, they have really good falafel. Yeah. So that can be a, like softer approach to talking mm, about like mm -hmm. the hospitality and how warm yeah. the people are and how much I was welcome yeah. because you don't see any of that in Absolutely the news not, yeah. and also it's soft enough that TV cameras aren't going to like feel threatened by yeah. it I yeah. mean they might turn away because they look politics. like a massive turtle <laughs> <laughs> but so did it and then yeah. found out the German word for runner is laufer uh -huh. so as a falafel spoon runner I was a falafel of laufer <laughs> And that was, so this is just like this the glorious culmination yeah, 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 yeah. of being able to run a marathon at short notice, <laughs> being able to commit to an awful homemade costume <laughs> that was out of felt from Hobbycraft wow. and was so warm. Wow. And then like having a stupid pun involved. Mm -hmm. And then I like made a video describing this outfit. Amazing. And at the time on the Chris Evans Virgin Breakfast radio show, yeah. His co-host was running the marathon dressed as a minion. Okay. <laughs> and so they were talking about like ridiculous outfits. Uh -huh. Someone phoned in and said that they'd seen this video okay. of me doing it. And so Chris Evans' co-host then like saw wow. it and was describing it to Chris Evans live on air. And I was like, this is everything I hoped. Yeah, they yeah, wouldn't yeah. have done this if I was dressed as like a separation wall. Yep. People are talking about it. I'm raising money. It's just Excellent. win, win, win. Yeah. And then Chris Evans was just like, what the hell is this? It sounds stupid. <laughs> and like, he was trying to be entertaining on air, yeah. but was just like quite dismissive. Oh. And in that moment, I thought, I know what I have to do. I have to write a diss track for Chris Evans. Oh my God. And this was two days before the marathon. Wow. I stayed up till 3 a.m. Oh my God. Writing yeah. some, some cold, cold 
disses. Wow. Uh, and then recorded it <gasps> and then put it out. And then the fundraising went from like a thousand pounds up to five thousand pounds. Oh my god. And it was just this glorious sequence of events. And at the time, before that, I was in my most like creatively blocked, sad, COVID y lockdown. <laughs> nothing I write will ever matter. Wow. And it felt, and I felt like I'd lost myself in amongst that. Yeah, yeah. And so to have something that only I would ever do, <laughs> on so many, everything so about many that, levels. no one would get halfway to that culmination of events. Yeah. And at no point did I question it. Oh my God. I just knew like what you to do You knew what you had to do. And I knew that it made sense to me. Yeah. And I knew that whatever happened, like it would, it would turn out well and it would be fun. Yeah. And it was for a good, and just all of these things. Yeah. It was a real moment of like, oh, this is, this is why I exist. And it just, it just felt <laughs> yeah, huge. Yeah. And I'd felt so small for so long. That's so incredible. to have something like that. Yeah. And then I got to like, talk about it in my yeah. next show and like perform that track oh like God, on amazing. stage and just yeah yeah all of it I guess it's like it's like a combination of the thing that you love doing so refinding the thing that you lost for yourself a little bit but then also the fact that it has such importance as well and like yeah. purpose and really bringing meaning to the work that you do yeah and I just think that at the heart of it there was a level of silliness yeah exactly and it I just didn't feel silly at the time. <laughs> I didn't feel like there was room for silliness yeah. because everything was so heavy. Yeah, but I think I think often those things can be packaged best with humour because yeah. it's more palatable for people, isn't Definitely. it? Definitely. You know? Definitely. I think that's why it's so brilliant that you're able to access that because a lot of people aren't able to do that. So you're right, that is a very Harry Baker thing. Um, did Chris Evans see the diss track? Yes. He did not respond. <laughs> But there's no yeah, way he wouldn't have seen it. There was, yeah, wow. he might not have seen it. Oh, God. There was then, sorry, I will move on. I no, promise. I love it. Um, after it, with part of this fundraising, like mm -hmm. amazing, loads of people giving like five, ten pounds. And again, it felt like being part of something bigger, being connected at a time when we couldn't be connected. And then there was an anonymous thousand pound donation. Oh, my God. And my first thought was, that's got to be Chris Evans. He's seen it, he think? respects it, he can't publicly <laughs> respond because of his ego, but he's sort of done it. Wow. Um, but I actually don't think it was him, I think. Well, then, I think it was a bunch of other radio DJs okay, who secretly who don't like Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> who were just like, we need to seed fund this yeah. movie. And I can't prove that, wow. and I can't... I wonder if he still wakes up with nightmares about <sighs> you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you really were a falafel of falafel of love. Yes. <laughs> And the first line of the diss track yep. was, big man Chris thinks he's the alpha, trying to step to the falafel of falafel. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> there's no way that he's no respond. way to recover. Yeah, no, there's he's no dead. Way to he's, recover. You've killed him. You've killed him off. Yeah. Slain. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, in opposition to that then, a time in your life where you felt like you really didn't have your shit together. <laughs> Probably the 18 months previous to that. <laughs> pre-falafel yeah yeah i mean definitely covid as a yeah. whole yeah but the the part of it that i realized looking back on was that i had almost come to define myself as this uplifting hopeful person and maybe yeah. part of that is the outward appearance of someone who has their shit together yeah, but yeah. i think especially thinking i 
see the world in a particular way and I try and share that with people and and people respond to it and and wanting to be able to do that and so in a time of crisis Mm. my gut reaction is to to dig deep and try and find that silver lining for everyone and exactly not just for myself but Uh for everyone else and so I have got a monthly newsletter and at the end of the year was looking back and pretty much every single month had been me saying stuff's like a bit rubbish right now but I think it's just about to be okay (laughs) and that went on for two years and it was me partly me rescheduling my tour dates but also me like doing online gigs or me doing like a free book giveaway or just trying to do something or trying to write a poem about missing hugs and how we all need connection and that contribute I guess yeah Yeah. and feeling like you're doing something at a time when people were applauding nurses on their doorsteps and poets at the bottom of the list of essential people is what I was telling myself yeah but also like if anything that time showed how important art was to people because it's what got them through the day definitely yeah but wanting to feel useful yes and basically being in denial of how bad things were right on a global scale Mm. but also on a personal scale and so in acknowledging that thinking oh if I'm not this upbeat person who am I yeah my first book was called the sunshine kid named after a poem and that was how I kind of saw myself yeah yeah and so I kind of thought not only can I not perform and do this thing that I love that like gives me such energy yeah I'm not even the person that I want to be able to be and so that was a real moment of yeah shock and and revelation and so off the back of that uh started going to therapy uh-huh. and just had six months and also at the time i was trying to write a book mm. so i was thinking oh it's lockdown we can't do gigs let's do a masterpiece <laughs> write a novel yeah <laughs> i'm the only person who's thought of this and couldn't do that and was then oh, feeling yeah. even worse yeah because like, i can't do anything yeah. all my energy is going towards just trying to cope get through the, the day, day. <laughs> uh but i wasn't like generous with that at all I didn't see that that was a valid way to try and yeah. exist or spend your time. And so then it was slowly giving myself time to just be an absolute mess and acknowledge that pain and acknowledge that like, I was really struggling. And like grieve as yeah. well. Like we were all 100%. kind of grieving in a life that we had. Definitely. And also terrified of what life was going to look like because at that point it felt like anything could change and yeah. societally could like have broken down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't know what we were going back to. And and after so long of like telling myself that things were yeah. about to go back and then they hadn't, like I I basically lost hope at, yeah. at some point. I was like, yeah. oh, well, I'm never going to be able to do gigs again. And like, yeah. would you go into extremes Zoom? either way? Is this, is this yeah. what it is? Yeah. And so the the upside of that was yeah. that therapy is great. Yeah. And in being able to acknowledge that pain and, and that yeah. really difficult stuff, I was then able to kind of rebuild myself. Yeah. And even now... I'm so grateful for that yeah. going forward. Whereas even when things do feel more possible, to have had that chance to work through some of that stuff. Yeah. Do you feel like that experience has coloured the way that you approach writing now then? Yes. And I think it's partly that, partly the process of having two years of writing without an audience. Mm. Because... In terms of these poetry slams, when I started out, yeah. you would write stuff, you would share it, and someone else would tell you if it you was any good. You get immediate feedback, really. And whereas I was writing all of these poems, mm. and I didn't know if anyone else would like them. So yeah. I had to write stuff that I wanted to write, yeah. or that felt yeah. good, or that felt like it was what I was trying to say. Yeah. And so 
off the back of that, the last 12 months especially, I've written stuff that just feels right in that moment. And that's been enough. Mm. And I've written stuff that's really like stupid and doesn't have any deeper meaning. And, and to me, that's such a valid use yeah. of time. But also I've written stuff that is like a 10 minute personal painful <laughs> poem yeah, yeah. that doesn't wrap up neatly yeah and i would never have been brave enough to write yeah. that before yeah and to know that actually that's where i'm at and so that's therefore what i want to be writing that's and so amazing. i think also i think like i am all of those people i am still a, yeah. a hopeful Sunshine person kids. but that that hopefulness is feels so much more real when it comes from a place of pain as well. Yeah, yeah, and when yeah. you're not just in denial that the world is hard yeah. or that other stuff goes on too. And to yeah. be able to share stuff and share that you're having a hard time yeah. as well as when you're having a good time yeah. is people seem to relate to a lot more. Yeah, and, I think so. And you don't have to be... Uh, you don't have to be inspirational all of the time. Yeah. You can just be real. And it shouldn't be, but because that is quite countercultural, people then find that much more helpful. Mm. And so in every way, I, f I feel much richer for it. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me that, you know, when, when you are maybe feeling most disconnected from yourself, creativity, I think, is, is allowing your vulnerability to flow through you if that's positive or negative and if you're trying to cut yourself off from that and your own truth then it doesn't surprise me that you could feel so separated from it and i just was trying so hard yeah it's like every, everything's a mess but if i just try a bit hard i'll be able yeah. to write something and that fix it whereas again yeah. last six months i've written stuff without trying yeah and that that's what I did when I started. When mm. I was a teenager, I had so yeah. much to say and it just kind of spilled out. Yeah, and yeah. I think in that time when that, like you say, that creative, emotional yeah. like connection Lock. feels stunted, yeah. I was I like the mathematical side <laughs> to take over. And I was like, what oh, if I write something that's really technically yeah. crafted because yeah. I can slot that in? And actually, one of the few creative endeavours I had during lockdown was I was writing like quiz rounds for friends Fun. and I loved that mm. because that was like solving a puzzle and yeah. it was it was making something and sharing it and like a poem felt too big but yeah. I could do that and yeah. so it was interesting how it was trying to come out in yeah. other ways it was manifesting in different ways exactly. that's really cool thank you for sharing that Three things that make you feel like shit. <laughs> uh, number one, mm -hmm. I would say comments about my appearance from strangers on the internet. Okay. Uh, by and large, people are lovely. <laughs> uh, and I went through a phase of doing rap battles where uh -huh. people are like, professionally told to insult oh, you. My and God. I don't know how people do that. I, it was, it was a, gauntlet 
but it was also like a sort of baptism of fire and it was terrifying but then everyone's lovely behind the scenes oh my god and they're so how do you recover from if someone's just insulted you yeah honestly the first one i did they had no idea who i was right so i got away with it and there's just lots of generic stuff about like your girlfriend's like this and i was like (laughs) i don't have a girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) jokes on you and and i brought all of my mates along and they were just like reacting to everything i said i'm such a natural i'm so cool (laughs) And then the second one I did, clearly like I had a target on my back. This new guy had come in, brought all of his mates, thinks he's good. And it was just three rounds about my like teeth. And I hadn't thought about that (laughs) since I was in school. Wow, Because in my day-to-day, I don't get bullied. Um, We're adults now, who does that? Yeah. And and it was so brutal. Oh, my God. But I did my first ever like freestyle rebuttal. Because the guy I was up against was just like a bit older. So I was like, you mentioned my teeth and that's probably true, but you're ancient. So we're both long in the tooth. <laughs> and I said it in such a like Bars. lame way, <laughs> but you could feel the a collective like sigh from the yeah. room of like, oh my God, he's still breathing. He's not oh dead. He's still, he's fighting back. Well done. He's taken everyone down with him. Yeah. And so... So like that as a as wow. a as a journey yeah. and and again like battle by battle seeing the like slow acceptance from mm. the scene as as someone who'd stuck with it and who hadn't just like come yeah. in thinking that they could do their own thing. But I suppose with something like that, you're almost expecting that something like that's going to happen. So you're kind of giving permission. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, a degree yeah, exactly. With with battle rappers and especially with like the people you're up against. Yeah. And then it's weird when people in the comments join in, but they just see it as part of the sport. Yeah, and like I like called someone out once I was like they like messaged me with like a load of rhyming insults and I was like I don't know you this is horrible and they were like oh I'm so sorry I I love what you do I was just I want to be part of the gang like so that is just a kind of disconnect but yeah the the reason I bring it up is very recently uh a lovely well-meaning woman messaged me on Instagram uh, and she is a dentist from Australia. Okay. And she's like seen my videos right. and like really like the poems, but I just am worried that you might have some form of gum disease and maybe you should get it checked out. Wow. And I just got so angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's such an overstep of oh. personal boundaries. Yeah. But also, like, it, just, it made me feel like shit because yeah. this isn't someone who's trying to insult me no. either. So, like, when it's but someone... it's, like, misguided. Yeah, kind of and because it's coming from this, like, you. niceness. I was yeah. like, oh, wow, maybe I am just, like, so unavoidably hideous yeah. that strangers, the other side of the world, like, can't help but tell me. And that is yeah. the only person who's ever done and anything that, like yeah. that. And that is in among... And this is, like, after, like, a couple of my videos have got a really big yeah. response. This is in amongst... Literally hundreds of people sending me lovely how things. How amazing you are. Yeah, it's, it's mad how that happens, And yet that's the thing think, that, like, yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. And even me, Mr. Non-Confrontational, in that moment was like, this isn't an okay thing oh. to say. I'm going to ask you to never message me again. Yeah. And then part of me is worried that I've been too harsh to them. But, like... Yeah. It's, it's wild that we... It's this weird social media relationship that we have where a lot of people... I, I'm, firstly, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that that's happened. And this what I'm about to say is not irrelevant to yeah, yeah, yeah. you, but a lot of people would think things and not post yeah. or not message the person because, you know, why would you do that? I think the relationship that we have with social media now is this feeling like we can 
we have a right and we can access anyone and tell them what we think and share our opinions and stuff like that. I mean, I've had it with friends who've been contacted to either be told that they're not eating enough or and that that this fan is worried about them being anorexic or that they're worried that they're eating too much and yeah. they're worried about that. And it's just like, who the fuck are you? You don't know what's, yeah. what people's relationship is with their appearance firstly. Yeah. And like, who the fuck are you to be coming along and, and I just sharing think your opinion? When it comes from that place of concern, yeah. whether that is real or manufactured. What is it? It's also power, I think. Yeah. It's a power dynamic. It, it just feels really belittling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so that's number one. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> number two, or Traffic and Light. <laughs> <laughs> number two is, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, uh-huh. Mr. Kipling's Angel Slices. Make you feel like shit. Because when I'm sad, for a long time, they were my go-to. Wow. And they are just, I even saying it, I can taste it. Uh-huh. And it's such a comfort. I can see the light in your eye as you're talking about it. And then I would eat a pack of six. Oh, my God. And then I would feel a deep sadness. And it was literally the, like, processed food, sugar rush, and then crash. Wow, wow. And I, I would say I'm, I'm very fortunate that I don't, have a complicated relationship with food like I mostly let myself eat unhealthy things eat quite healthily Mm. rest of the time run a marathon every so often (laughs) not a problem (laughs) but that in that moment I was like okay this is wow this is something I need to stop myself from doing yeah yeah. like I've got friends who've like given up sugar because they can't control their relationship yeah. with it. And it was just like an insight into that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, but how can something that feels so good be so bad good. for me? <laughs> and it's called Angels. What? Yeah. Um. And even talking about it, I do want one. And I'm sure part of the I don't think is, I've ever had one. Oh, they're so good, but also stay away. Yeah. I, and like one is fine. Yeah. And But they'd like, they're twin wrapped for freshness. So you do have to sort of have two. But it's. <laughs> they know what they're doing with yeah. that. Yeah. And it's probably because I eat them when I'm already feeling like shit mm. that I have that association yeah, yeah, in my yeah. mind so yeah. if Mr Kipling's listening I just, oh my god do better Mr Kipling it's not you it's me <laughs> so that'd be number two uh-huh. number three would be uh, just to take it back down again my own shyness okay. or I guess social anxiety okay. in that when I look back at my so in January it is still January. <laughs> I don't know where we are. A few weeks ago, yep. I got to go to San Francisco. And yes. it was amazing. And it was specifically for a maths cabaret event. Uh-huh. And it was just the dream in that it was me doing a poem about prime numbers alongside some jugglers, alongside some mathematical dancing. Oh, my God. The headline of the whole event was a guy just doing sums really quickly. Wow. And it was a the biggest dream. rock star moment I've ever <laughs> seen. He literally announced the answer and everyone lost their minds, mm. myself included. Oh it my was God. so great. Yeah. But the last time I was in San Francisco, when I was 18, on my like poetry gap year... I typed in Poetry Slam and that had come up. Wow. And I went and I stayed with someone who I'd met at an open mic night in London uh-huh. like two months previous. Uh-huh. And I stayed with, it turns out they didn't live there, but they knew a group of circus performers who were squatting in a warehouse. I love that. Sounds and very just, San Francisco. Exactly. But... And all of that I took in my stride, unquestioning, mm. 18 years old, this is great. This is mm-hmm. what my life is going to be. And compared to that, going back this time, I was so... 
hesitant about going because mm. I I didn't know many people and there was one guy there who I get on with well, who I really like, yeah. who I'd only met a couple of times and I got in my head that like, oh, he's probably going to be busy or if we do hang out for too long, yeah. he won't like me anymore, oh. which is such a ridiculous thing yeah. to say out loud. Yeah. And, and it, thankfully, speaking to friends before that, I knew that in and of myself, mm. but just... In my head, when I was 18, I was invulnerable. Yeah. And I did this stuff without thinking. And the fact that now it feels like such a big deal to do stuff yeah. that used to be easy. Yeah. I just wish that wasn't the case. And well, the truth is that I probably felt anxious back then too. Yeah. And, but yeah, I just think I love, I love people mm. and I love hanging out and I love those opportunities to connect. And I don't know if this is an overhang of COVID or otherwise, but yeah. I have such a a lack of faith in my own like social skills yeah. that people would want to hang out with me. Gosh, and that's I so think, strange. You know, I'm someone who gets up on stage in front of strangers, but I'm I'm in control of that yeah. situation, yeah. and I'm saying stuff it's on your terms that I've curated yep. to be funny and meaningful uh-huh. and all of this. And so that, yeah, is absolutely fine. Uh-huh. But like I chatting think, with yeah. someone. I don't know, like that, yeah. Yeah. So I just feel, I, I felt so small. God. And I was really surprised by it. But coming back to the comfort zone thing, I, yeah. I still went. Yeah. And then I... Had a good time. Had a lovely yeah. time. Like, especially with these people that I know, because obviously they want to hang out, even yeah. though they're halfway around the world. Yeah. And so just like b- voicing that out loud and yeah. remembering that one, it's okay to feel those things, but also that, even someone with a math degree can be very irrational. Yeah. <laughs> like, is it, yeah. Yeah. It just, it really caught me by surprise. I was going to say, like, where do you think that shift has come from if at 18? Because I would, I would look at you from an outside point of view and think, you know, with, with the success that you've had and the fact that you're performing in front of people constantly and all of those things, I understand what you're saying about the curated aspect of it because I definitely relate to that. But it's just interesting that you felt more confident when you were 18 in social situations like that? Where do you think that shift has been? I don't know. I think it's... Like, I've always been a mixture of, I guess, introvert and extrovert. Mm. And, and, you know, part of being a poet is being happy in your own company and thoughts. But I I get more life than anything from hanging out with my friends. But I I know that it does take me a while to warm up with people. Mm. Or I think because I can be up on stage sharing parts of myself yeah. in a big way. Yeah. I'm very happy in a group scenario to, to sit back and let, yeah, yeah. let other people take yeah. the stage, as it were. But I think, for whatever reason, I th- it's partly probably a lot of people not understanding what I do. So in that day-to-day, whether it's getting a haircut or getting a taxi yeah. somewhere and telling someone that you're a poet and their response to be like, a bit confused <laughs> yeah and again it, they're never malicious oh, but no. but i then project onto that oh yeah actually i would try and like shut down this conversation yeah. because i don't want to uh waste someone's time or yeah. i don't want to like be boring and it's such a it's so wild even because... when i'm like in a taxi on my way to a really exciting thing yeah i just feel like, oh, like they wouldn't understand wow. so it's not worth like trying to explain it yeah. and like I, but even I remember at uni, like, I would find it much easier to speak to people after I'd done a gig because I felt like I've shown that part of myself. Yeah. They've seen it. Yeah. 
and because it's not an act, because it is me, yeah. it's just like the best version of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then I think it, who I am makes sense, mm, and mm-hmm. so then I can talk about like being nerdy or being vulnerable yeah. or, or the maths and, and like all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But in a in a group situation, I very rarely like be the one to speak up. That's so interesting because. I think that saying that you're a poet is far more interesting than saying that you like work in an office nine to five or something like that. You'd think that it would, it would, um, I don't know, cause intrigue from the person who you're talking to. Yeah, but, but maybe I think that attention is kind of overwhelming sometimes. Maybe, and also I think people know what to do with it when you yeah. tell them something that they've heard of. Yeah. Also, yeah. and again, those questions come back from a place of interest. Yeah. So, it, like, it's all coming from me. Yeah. Okay, three things that make you feel like the shit. Yes, okay. Number one uh-huh. is people saying nice things. <laughs> Validation. And <laughs> I've got friends who are so bad at taking compliments. Okay. It makes them really uncomfortable. Okay. And I am a needy little flower <laughs> that wants to be watered. <laughs> and... I'm okay with that. Yeah. But also I've had people who almost like apologize for for like stopping you. They're like, I'm really sorry, like you're probably yeah. busy, but I just wanted to say that like <laughs> I'm not busy, I'm not busy at all. Yeah, Sit down. <laughs> I've actually got half an hour yeah, if you yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me what. Um and but it, it's and I remember when I was first starting out, in quick succession there were two poets who I saw and mm. I thought were incredible. Yeah. And I went up to them. This must have been like a couple of weeks apart, but I, first one I went up to, and I just, I just thought it was absolutely incredible. Yeah. And he was so uncomfortable with that, he like dismissed it out of oh, hand. Wow. He was like, "Let's not blow smoke up each other's ass." And then I felt like a dickhead. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, I, yeah, no, you're right. I shouldn't have said anything." Yeah. And so, part of my justification for accepting people's praise is that actually that's a really nice thing for them yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. if someone's seen you. Mm. And it's been meaningful to them, yeah. And they want to share that, yeah. Then that is really generous yeah. of them as well, definitely. And so to dismiss it because you're not comfortable with that, yeah, is then sort of almost taking something away from that. It's actually I remember this was like a lesson that I learned at drama school because prior to that, if, if ever I performed anything or even whilst I was at drama school, if I did something and then people were coming up to me to be like, oh, I thought that was really great, and I'd be like, oh God, no, it, it really wasn't. Like yeah. I could have done this better. I could have done this better. Actually, that's your ego. So even though you think that you're not being um, arrogant because you're putting yourself down. Yeah. You're actually yeah, yeah, being yeah. arrogant in taking up that person's time with Definitely. your insecurities. Yeah. Just accept the compliment. 100%. And yeah, it's, it was a good lesson to learn, actually. Yeah. And so, and also I realised that one of the things I struggle with with lockdown and coming out of it was when we were doing these socially distanced gigs. Yeah. So you're performing and people have got masks on in there. So it's already weird. Yeah. But one of the hardest things about it was... You, I couldn't like see people afterwards, mm. and so where do you get your validation from? <laughs> well, it, like it is that, but no, also no, I, the, I realize how much of it is about yeah, that connection, connection, and you're not like you're not a film. You're not something that people yeah. watch and then like they're removed from. And so people don't even have to say, but just seeing that people exist and that they're there, yeah. and and not being able to like. Even say hello. Yeah. They don't have to tell you that you're amazing. If they do, it's great. But yeah. realizing how much a part of performing is is that connection and and that yeah. side of things. But I think particularly with poetry, one of the powers of poetry is that you're 
able to articulate complex emotions for people yeah. and it resonates with people in a way that's different from like going to theatre or something like that because you literally put into words something for them yeah. and that can be so meaningful and because of your vulnerability sometimes afterwards people will want to come and share a bit of their vulnerability with you yeah. and that's an important part of the process I think. Yeah and I found it interesting stuff I've written more recently that is more vulnerable yeah rather than people coming out like really happy people coming out in tears and being like oh I, I don't feel as good about this but also I know that that's it's meaningful a nice it's thing. cathartic yeah, for them exactly. yeah yeah okay um number two yeah. uh are you familiar with the BBC quiz show Only Connect I am if I ever get a single question right whilst watching that I feel incredible like a fucking genius and often what I do is I watch the teams confer, yeah. having said all of the like necessary information that I wouldn't have got, uh, <laughs> and then I get there just before them, and I think, you guys should I'm have had me on your team. Yeah. <laughs> you should have had me on your team. Wow. And it makes me so happy, yeah. and I watch it every week, and Grace, my wife, watches it with me, oh and I think that's one of the deepest acts of love I've ever witnessed, because uh, she... Yeah would not watch that by herself that, it's, it's the most become, bonkers show i, I think i first it. got introduced to it through watching Gogglebox, <laughs> and me being like what the hell is this show like and then i like watched an episode of it and i was like how does anyone know what they're doing it's like people are solving riddles i don't know what's happening but i've started to kind of get on board with it now i love it i yeah. um for the last few years i've applied to go on it oh, wow. with some friends <laughs> um and <laughs> this year was the first year we got to like do an online audition Fun. um but again i probably should be saying this recorded but like the process for getting on it is they send you like a list of questions oh, wow. um and they're like you've got 15 minutes like time yourself don't yeah. make anything up and so like this year we gave ourselves a generous 15 minutes but it meant we got <laughs> through to the audition Fun. and then the audition came and it was back to like complete rabbit in the headlights <laughs> <laughs> no idea what's going on oh my so, god Many, many years down the line, I may be on that show. Oh, I can't wait for it. And someone else can watch it and feel good that they get the answers yeah. before me. It's not <laughs> happen, but, uh, and then number three, I want to say like a Mr. Kipling lemon slice just to like... The battle of the slices. Have some balance and not yeah. get sued. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually true. <laughs> um, I would say I love cooking. Mm. And I think making but all I, this mathematician in me like i'm i follow a recipe wow like to, to a team yeah yeah but i love that and so i think trying something new and it turning out vaguely like the picture mm. i makes me so happy yeah and i love cooking for people and having friends around yeah. and that act of of generosity yeah. and preparing and also probably part of me loves the showing off bit of like <laughs> the validation presenting event. yeah and then having a q a <laughs> and people coming out in yeah, tears exactly exactly <laughs> what is your favorite thing to cook uh i made a lasagna recently oh. and it was uh something about the kind of different parts and the layers yeah. and slung it and i quite like making a massive mess mm. and then it goes in the oven for a bit and you've got time to sort of like clean clean it up Gather before again. rather yeah. than like 
I've had it where friends have come round and it's like 15 minutes to go and I'm just not able Stop to engage. Stop things in the pan. The, yeah. yeah. And like the whole kitchen's a mess yeah. and I'm just like, can you just <laughs> sit in the other room while I gather myself <laughs> and then try and present you something as if it's not been wow. an entirely stressful experience. <laughs> cool. Okay, something that makes you lose your shit in a positive and then a negative way. Uh, I think music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love gigs yeah. and and live music. Mm-hmm. And last year I got to see Stormzy <gasps> in Victoria Park. Oh my god! At Stormzy Day or Stormzy Fest, and wow. he came outside and he performed a song about rain, uh-huh. and it started to rain. He is a wizard. And I was like, I was punching my friends in the art. I was just like <laughs> shaking people. Like, Do you realise what we're witnessing? This is but like so much. So, like people around yeah. were watching me instead of. I was just losing yeah. it. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> and then he performed like oh another God. song about rain, but, and then the rain stopped. And I, I just was looking at like. <laughs> Is any anyone else this? here? <laughs> yeah. What is ha- this? Is unbelievable. <laughs> this, how has he done? Like looking for like secret yeah. sprinklers in the Honestly, sky. Once you've done Glastonbury, you can do anything. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. And wow. like on, on a smaller scale, I just yeah. love like lyrics in yeah. songs, and yeah. especially like sort of slightly dodgy puns, which yeah. you get a lot in rap. And mm-hmm. just like yeah, when it's yeah. really satisfying, I'm yeah. Yeah, I love that. Okay, something that made you lose your shit in a negative way. Uh, the, the thing that comes to mind is probably really I should have have better things to care about, but it, it's probably Zoom calls. Zoom, oh god, yeah. A Zoom call that could have been an email. Wow. Or yeah. a phone call that could yeah. have been an email, or anything that could have been an email. <laughs> I love email. I'm so good. At putting all of the key information in a short space of time, and like especially <laughs> stuff like I, I've done hundreds of gigs at schools, mm. like different school every mm-hmm. single time, and I know how to do it, yeah. and I know what they need, yeah. and it is for me to say like I can do a performance bit, I can do a workshop bit. Yeah. This is ideal class size, and uh-huh. like I give them all of that. Yeah. Like this is how much it costs. Uh-huh. This is when I'm free, and for someone to then be like, let's. Like let's schedule in a meeting to like uh-huh. talk about, it. and then you go on that, and then it's exactly the same, and it just infuriates me wow. so much. Wow. So. Yeah, and it's becoming more and more just a part of our lives now, isn't it? Like I think prior to COVID, I didn't know what Zoom was. Yeah, really. yeah, 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 yeah. And now it's like it's not every other day that you're kind of having one. And there was there was a sweet spot in COVID where I was having such a rough time, but. I felt able to tell people like, I just don't have capacity for yeah. that at the moment. <laughs> and it feels like now there's not a global pandemic on. Yeah. Like not a, I don't see many other people saying that. So every now and then <laughs> I'm just like, I can't. I don't have capacity. <laughs> yeah. And it feels a little bit <laughs> yeah. less acceptable. Yeah. When I think it should God. we should normalise just being unable to go. Oh my god. But I think yeah, I've I've got better at just uh saying I can't do phone calls. And, like, sometimes I have to pretend I'm busier than yeah. I am. Like, yeah. I... Or, like, and I do get a lot of changes. So like, I find an excuse, but I want to say is, like, I don't like video calls. Yeah. And that's nothing personal. No. And 
like one of my best mates, he loves a good phone call. Yeah. And I don't. Mm. And so we had to like learn to navigate that. Wow. And actually <laughs> came through it stronger. Like I just need him to text me to tell yeah. me that he's gonna call me at this yeah. point. And then we schedule it in yeah. and then that's the time where yeah. it's just like Off if my cuff. phone rings Anxiety. I'm like, why are you phoning me? What's yeah. happened? Yeah. <laughs> if I don't know the number, there's no way I'm answering. Yeah. If I do the number, I'm often not answering yeah. anyway. Yeah. Even like my mum or my dad, I'll like, I'll see it and then I'll text them saying, can I call you back in 15 minutes uh-huh. just so I can like prepare, get into my phone out <laughs> or like whatever it is. Like yeah. I just. Yeah. I know what you mean. Because I want to be present for yeah. it. Yeah. But also I want to know when it's going to start yeah. and end. <laughs> A moment you found some shit out about yourself? Uh, just had my sixth wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Uh, a very lovely time. Mm-hmm. And on my fourth wedding anniversary two years ago, uh, me and Grace were going for a lovely walk mm-hmm. in the woods. And Grace turned to me and said, I think we should have couples therapy. Oh. And I maintain that that wasn't great timing from her. <laughs> On the anniversary. Yeah. But also... It's on the mind, clearly. I think, yeah. I think that there's been a while of a build-up. And I think they should be on Uh, Zoom. Can you put that in an email? Um, And what I realised... In that moment, I absolutely freaked out. And what I realised was that at the time, uh, all of the aforementioned COVID... Yeah. Smallness. And also at the time, me and Chris were signed up with our comedy agency and that wasn't going well. And so I felt like Grace was the only solid thing in my life. Yeah. And the fact that she thought it wasn't solid. Yeah. Just rocked my world. Yeah. And she wasn't saying that we should get a divorce. She was saying that... Actually, it's like we should invest more in it. Yeah. Yeah. And... Also that you can have therapy not at a point of crisis yeah. and it's just a good thing to, yeah. to do and to check in. Yeah. But essentially that came from a place of her seeing that I wasn't in a great place. Wow. And the result of that wasn't that we had couples therapy, it was that I went and had some <laughs> therapy. And I think we need to work on ourselves now. I think you yeah, need to. <laughs> yeah, and like it didn't feel like that at the no. time. but. That was the best possible yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realised... very loving as well. Yeah. And how huge of her to... Yeah. To recognise it within you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the reason why I freaked out... Yeah. ...was because I my head immediately went to all of the things that I would say in therapy that I haven't said to you face-to-face wow. because I don't want confrontation. Yeah, yeah. And sl- because I like... I thought the longer we're married, the more we become the same person. Mm. And so we no longer disagree over anything. Whereas <laughs> A very healthy viewpoint. Turns out. <laughs> Codependence is yeah. what you mean. <laughs> uh, actually, it's quite good to have different <laughs> lives and different interests. <laughs> and so, yeah. But that was it was such a lightning bolt moment yeah. of, oh, okay, there's a lot going on here yeah. that I need to address. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Um, okay, shittest piece of advice you've received? 
uh, there's there's two that I thought one related to that, uh-huh. and on reflection, it wasn't advice and it wasn't given to me. Okay, but I held on to it for a long time. Uh huh. And I was watching the film Interstellar. Love that film. And in that film, there's a little robot companion. I've not watched it for ages, but the AI sort of interface. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and at some point, he dials it down to ninety percent honesty uh-huh. because as a robot. It was too brutally Brutal. honest yeah. for his emotional human wow. way of living. And I remember looking at that and thinking, okay, yeah, that's a good way to live, 90% honesty. Yeah. And so it meant that I used that as an excuse to not have any difficult conversations <laughs> because that was the 10%. Yeah, 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 yeah. And actually, like, in all my relationships, like, I'm pretty much there, but I'm just, yeah. like, not telling you that you've done just this thing that annoys me. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, that is not a good way to be. Yeah. And through this couples therapy that became sober mm. therapy, became, it has to be 100% honesty. Yeah. Even when it's really difficult. Yeah. And that led to some of the most difficult conversations oh I've had, gosh. which then led to some of the richest relationships yeah. and friendships yeah. I have. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's a film and it's a robot and no one was <laughs> telling me to do that, but I latched, yeah, I held on to it. I love that. And I, yeah. And I, I honestly think I was wrong yeah. and that that is wrong. It's so funny, isn't it? Because I've definitely done that where you feel like you're almost trying to protect people from yeah. your honesty yeah, in yeah, order yeah. to have a better relationship. But actually what it does is it cuts you off from yourself and then they're not getting the real you because you're not allowing them to see it. Whereas like... And you can feel it when other people are doing it with you as well. Like if someone's kind of being a bit of a martyr about things and you can tell that there's something up with them. And and it does feel like a a block or a boundary between your relationship. And what I've said to my friends is that like I have so much capacity for you Mm. that like it's only going to make me love you more a lot of the time if you just like tell me honestly how you feel about things. Yeah. The other specific Mm. advice that I take it with is... Uh, who you come across this phrase? Those who pray together stay together. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> wow. And I, it was at Chris's wedding. Okay. We like, he had a band, uh-huh. amazing musician, amazing band. Uh-huh. And like, we got up and did a song. Right. And in our live shows, we like, would do a little freestyle section. Amazing. So I had this idea that at Chris's wedding, people would have bits of paper that they could write sort of like advice for them on and then they would throw paper planes (laughs) at us and then mid-song I would pick them up and like incorporate them into a rap and honestly at least 10 of these bits of paper said on it those who pray together stay together wow and it is just because of that specific like Christian circle of of whatever that we were in and I just think people like it because it rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I will say this proudly, it is the equivalent of he who smelt it dealt it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no logic to And it. I just like... <laughs> and maybe if you're talking about prayer as sharing your needs and vulnerabilities yeah. and the fact that you can do that with the person that you love and that will strengthen your relationship <laughs> and that you should go to therapy, great. Yeah. But also... It just annoyed me because then I was trying to freestyle about the same thing yeah, that already rhymes. So where, what am I adding <laughs> to it? And so, couples who play together. Yes, that's a nicer one. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Shit, you wish you'd known sooner. That just because someone is confident does not mean that they are correct. <laughs> okay. And vice versa. Okay. So, like shy people 
aren't incorrect. Myself included yeah. can have a lot to offer. Wow. And I've got certain... Grace is the best at this. She can mm. see a glint in my eye when I've got something I want to say. Okay. She will bring me into a conversation. And I'm That's forever so good. grateful to her. She's I've a got, facilitator. Yeah. I've got a few people who are really good at that. Yeah. And, and I think... <laughs> Essentially, alongside the therapy and everything else, mm. the, the crux of our difficult relationship with our agent was that we weren't a kind of stereotypical act that they would normally have. Yeah. And they were trying to put us down the very cookie-cutter route that they had for everyone yeah. else. And I knew that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. But they seemed so confident. Yeah. And they presented it like there's no alternative. Yeah. Whereas I'd been living an alternative for five years mm. as a poet, just sort of yeah. doing stuff willy-nilly. And yeah. so it wasn't until we kind of parted ways and I was able to do things on my own terms and mm. do it well, mm-hmm. both in a creative capacity, but also in a even by their metrics of like reaching people and it yeah. being successful, whatever yeah. that means to realise that they are just completely blagging it as well. And yeah. what they do has worked for them and will work for some uh-huh. people, but it wasn't going to work but for it's me. it's quite formulated, isn't yeah. it? And if you don't fit into that. And I think, again, me trying to be as open as possible, saying, oh, OK, I'm not sure about that, but yeah. maybe. And they would just see that to be a sign of weakness. And yeah. so we just tell you what to say. And so yeah. that became a really, to my mind, toxic yeah. environment and relationship. Yeah. And... I never felt able to just call them out and be like, I, I don't think you know what you're talking about yeah. because you've never dealt with a puppet before. Yeah. Or like you don't know that I'm not doing the school gigs mm. out of a sort of reluctant necessity to make a living. I'm doing it because I was in school when I started writing yeah. and someone came in and it made a massive difference in my yeah. life and I love going into schools. Yeah. And you don't understand that me and Chris will always leave Edinburgh early to go to a festival in Kettering because we played there <laughs> since we were teenagers. Yeah. And it's the one weekend of the year where we are rock stars. <laughs> yeah. And yes, that's when the Edinburgh Awards are on. No, we've never been nominated for an award. <laughs> like, no, you're not yeah. invited to the festival because you might taint it. Yeah. And just, like all of this stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of just, I guess, and, and hand in hand with that, like trusting my gut mm. and knowing that the moment I decided to be a poet and not a doctor, I chose an unconventional life. Yeah. And I did it because I knew it was worth it. Yeah. And I knew that whatever I end up doing, I will write and I will share it. And if mm. that means I'm doing it whilst being a full-time math teacher, that's yeah. that's still fantastic. Yeah. And so how can I expect someone else to to understand that or to to facilitate that yeah. for me if they've not ever considered that path themselves. Yeah. And so it is terrifying sometimes but it's completely joyful most of the time mm. to be able to do something you love that no one else is doing yeah. or that other people are doing and and then you can share in that weird kind of thing that you're navigating together yeah. but just to know that if you love it that's enough yeah and if you can make it work amazing mm. and, the, and the more you can put into it and get out of it the more worthwhile that is yeah and that if someone is heavily invested in the industry or the system, mm. they're not necessarily going to help you to subvert that industry or system because yeah. yeah. it's not in their interest. Yeah. And just because they're friendly doesn't mean they care. And that, yeah. that feels really brutal. But our agent was essentially lovely. Yeah. But also very unhelpful for what you who needed. I am and yeah. what I needed. 
it's really interesting that you say that because I feel like there's parallels between like acting agents, for example, and it's that thing of you have something to offer as like a creative and the things that you make, but you are looking for someone who can assist you to you know make that have longevity and like find you work and stuff like that but what often comes with that is a power dynamic which I don't know whether that's necessarily useful and I think you know for actors you're really looking to have these gatekeepers on your side so that they can help you find things but like I say there's a power dynamic that comes with that where you just kind of take everything that they say for gospel or but they actually there's a beauty in them admitting that they might not know something or that like let's work it out together let's find where you fit together as opposed to like this is what I've done this is what I've always done and this is how you're going to fit into it a lot of people aren't able to step down from that pedestal and be like oh yeah I actually don't know let's like figure it out together kind of thing and I just think to have something presented as the only way is so arrogant and short-sighted yeah and I think and again I'm very fortunate a lot of people don't have as much agency in what mm, they're doing and mm-hmm. feel like they do have to do these gigs yeah, or yeah. these jobs that they don't necessarily want to do yeah. but it's a stepping stone towards having that kind of independence yeah. but I am in a position where I don't have to do that yeah. and so it's countercultural. Yeah. but I've booked my tour gigs on Wednesdays and Thursdays so I can be home at the weekend because yeah. I live by the sea and I have friends Yeah, and <laughs> that doesn't make sense to someone yeah. who is telling you you have to cane it for about 10 years and then you'll be famous and then you can do what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And some people are doing it because they want that. Yeah. And success will be when they are famous and then it will all be worth it. Whereas I think you've got to enjoy the ride (laughs) and you've got to do it in a way that... It's sustainable. Yeah. And and then you can sleep at night. Yeah. (laughs) It all comes back to the sleep. Okay, so we're now at the point of a shit shot. So that is a photo that to the outside eye looks like you had your shit together, but at the actual time, you definitely didn't. (laughs) I struggle with this, Uh and I think that's a good thing. I think I don't. Every single photo is just (laughs) panic behind your eyes. I I went back through my Instagram and I was like, was a time when I was like feeling a bit rough, I actually put this thing up. Uh And I came across this picture, which is me on a train at 9am in the morning bawling my eyes out because I just watched the Lego movie (laughs) and I was like okay that's no one's watching that thing and this guy's got his shit together but Uh I've got a two part uh, image for you two parter Um, I'm just gonna so I can have a grand reveal Uh and I I hope this is as interesting in audio as it (laughs) has potential to be visually so I've got a love-hate relationship with haircuts great uh, for a long time, they were a sort of necessary evil. <laughs> and I'm not good at the small talk. And I tell them I'm a poet. And I wow, it. yeah, hell. Uh, and then I, up at the Edinburgh Fringe, mm-hmm. before the festival itself, mm-hmm. local hairdresser was doing a special offer. Great. And got Fringes, a Edinburgh Fringes. Exactly. I think they honestly <laughs> had some kind of fringe face plan and I was in. And got this haircut. And yep. just felt amazing. Wow. And I was like, this is incredible. This is yeah. this is me now. Uh-huh. And then did the... Put fringe. your chevron jacket on, you're good exactly. to go. Exactly. <laughs> and so every year since, I would go there, start of the month, wow. and I'd be part of the routine. Okay. And then my friend who lives in Bristol, mm-hmm. who just has amazing hair always, yeah. he told me about his local barber, and I went there, yeah. and they were great. So I was like, okay, I've not found a hairdresser locally 
But if I can just time it so I'm in either Edinburgh or Bristol <laughs> every couple of months, I can probably get by. <laughs> Until uh-huh. November 2021. Wow. I had a gig in Edinburgh. Uh-huh. We're staying over. Yeah. I great. I'll get myself a it's trip. It's haircut time, baby. And so first image is haircut from the front. Okay. Great. Looking good. Looks good. Feeling nice. happy. Slick. Yeah. It's a bit shorter than I was expecting. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then this is a haircut from the back. Oh. <laughs> oh. How would you describe what we're seeing? That, that's not a fade. <laughs> it is. Uh, it feels like someone's done a sort of like Barbenheimer split. <laughs> Instead of left to right, it's top to bottom. So Ken's on top. Yeah. So we've got a sort of like kind of swirl. It's a bit like those ice gems. Is that what it was called? Yeah. The little yeah, yeah, yeah. sweet. Like yeah, yeah, ice yeah. gem topping. And then it's just sort of Shaved. completely flat. But then right at the back, it's as if they like almost tried to shave a kind of like Batman into it. Okay. But lost confident. And, they, <laughs> and in hindsight... <laughs> What is that? <laughs> At the end of the haircut, yeah. they didn't do the thing they do where the they show thing. you the mirror. Wow. And that's because they, they knew what they'd they done. <laughs> and also, the guy who has previously done my haircut there, person. he walked past as it was going on oh and said hello. And I had a moment of like, okay, if you're there, who's here? <laughs> <laughs> Whose hands are these? And it was... And, I'd clearly like gone for a cheap one because wow. it was a trainee person. Oh no! But it you played fast and loose with your hair. Yeah. Oh my god! But that that's tricky because <laughs> that's one of my two safe safe spaces in yeah. the United Kingdom. Wow! And I've not I've not gone You're back. Not, oh no! Oh my god! So now all I've got is Bristol. Wow! Your safe space. <sighs> wow! So. Gosh. Did, did you feel like you were able to forget about it because it was, it was at the back of your head? Yeah, because also I didn't notice. <laughs> I got home. Oh, my God. And Grace started pissing herself Oh, laughing. no. <laughs> and so Not I'd, like, done, you... like, the gear. I'd, like, had a couple of days with that. And, like, it wow. was... I was wearing a hat for a fair bit. And because okay. it was winter, right? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. after that, I was wearing a hat. Yeah. <laughs> but it was such a, like... Tale of two halves. Humbling, humbling a deeper experience. metaphor yeah. for how even when in front it looks like it's all gone well. What is, what is it? Um, part, party at the front. What is it? <laughs> Business at the front, party at the back. That's that's what they say about mullets, isn't it? That's like yeah, party on top, like... <laughs> chaos at the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm so sorry for that experience. No, it's... It's fine. It's not done much for your exposure therapy of going to a <laughs> barber's. Exactly. Um, okay, well, Harry Baker, have you got your shit together? I think I have got more shit than ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I have got my shit together, yeah. but crucially that includes like the actual shit. Mm. And so I think in in holding on to that... Yeah. I am able to be a better, more full-rounded person. And I have moments, I feel a lot more fluctuating these days. Mm. So I, within a week, I will feel like I'm on top of the world and then feel like an absolute hot mess. Yeah. And I'm able to hold those yeah. in better set. And I used to think as soon as I was like feeling a bit wobbly, Yeah. That I would never be happy again, yeah. and, and I would spiral. 
Yeah. And so I think I'm more comfortable in myself yeah. now than I have ever been. Amazing. And that's a really lovely thing yeah. to be able to say. And I think part of that is that some of the the parts of myself that I love is the the vulnerability and is the the rawness. Yeah. And and in being able to to hold those parts. Mm. It just helps with everything. Well, it feels like part of you getting your shit together has been acknowledging that there's shit there in the first yeah. first place and Definitely. sitting with it and yeah. getting getting to know it, I guess. Go back from a very nice ending. We can put this in another. <laughs> another thing that makes me feel like this shit yeah. <laughs> is clearing my email inbox. Okay. Like getting that oh white space. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. obsessed with it. Yeah. I found out recently that you can do that on WhatsApp. You can archive messages yeah and then when they reply it comes back into your main thing oh so rather than like worrying about who you've not replied to that's good i now like have that as well yeah yeah yeah. and what i did was i tried to apply that to the rest of my life so uh-huh. i was like if there's anything like vaguely worrying me i need to get that out of my mental inbox yeah. so then i've got a clear head uh-huh. then i'll sleep fine then i'll be able to write loads of great poems yeah and that wasn't a good way to do it. Uh-huh. So part of having that shit together is letting it stay there, mm. let it exist, yeah. and to to sit in the shit <laughs> and and fester, <laughs> but also to to grow from that, yeah, and to to not be afraid of it, yeah. And so that is where I'm currently at. Okay, well, amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're so welcome. Yay. And now here's one of Harry's poems called Wonderful, which is the title poem of his new book and tour. Harry will be on tour around the UK from May and you can find out more information about that on his website, harrybaker.co or his social media platforms. May you always picture where you are as where you're meant to be. May you take in your surroundings like you visited especially. We all end up in the soil eventually. So may you carry such goodness that it nourishes for centuries. May you see life as a show and may the entry fee be empathy, sat front row with an empty seat for friends in need. And when you're on form, be generous and spread that energy. And when you're not sure, be gentle with yourself and don't forget to breathe. You need not be defined by your many feats. You are not a centipede that is a joy in doing something terribly. May you share bruise and bruises and may you do this tenderly. You are the most improved you there has ever been. Of all the words you'll ever hear, remember these. Life is too short to eat celery. Life is too long to feed jealousy. Life is likely just the right length to need therapy. May you be seriously silly. May you be wickedly kind. May you be brilliantly dumb sometimes and yet stupidly bright. May you certainly have doubts. May your weirdness be the norm. May the coolest thing about you be your warmth. May you be powerfully vulnerable or at least mightily soft. May you be a contradiction and yet at the same time not. And whether you are any, none or all of the above, above all, may you know that you are loved. May you understand that it's okay to change your mind, particularly if your views are not the same as mine. May you always make room for playfulness. It may just save your life. And trust whatever makes your heart grow cannot be a waste of time. It may not make you money. It may not even make sense. But if you makes you happy, it is worth it in the end. And it is worth it at the time and it deserves your very best. And you are never too busy to catch your breath. Just as you cannot be in traffic without being traffic. 
Life is not something that you are stuck in while it happens. There is more in you than you could possibly imagine. The very fact that you exist makes everything a bit more magic. And when it all feels too much and there is little you can do, may you still see the best in people and may people include you. May one thing match the gravity of all you've ever done. This wonderful reality. The best is yet to come. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. This podcast is produced by Ant Hickman. The artwork is produced by Tim Saunders and the photography is by Patch Bell. A massive thank you to Cassia for letting us use their song Slow. See you on the next episode of Have You Got Your Shit Together? Now and then I'm just a little bit low I always try to lose my mind in a conversation with you 